And if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the back table there. we got a whole couple stacks of them if you need one. Tonight we are stepping back into the book of James. We're picking up in chapter 1 where we left off in verse 13. And, and James is talking about something that every single person in this room has in their life in this passage tonight. And that thing is temptation. I mean, let's be honest. We've all got things in our lives that tempt us. And if you remember when we first started this book, when we spent that one night looking at James 1.1, I told you this book should come with a warning label. James did not sit down and write a best-selling, live your best life now, feel good about yourself book. He wrote a book of Scripture that kind of smacks you in the face to get your attention. It's a book that calls you and I out. If we say we're disciples of Jesus, if we say we've put our faith and our trust in Him, it's a book that says, hey, if you say you believe these things, it's time to let these things collide with what you actually do in your life. You've got to live out what you say you believe. That is what James talks about through this entire book, and that's what he calls out in this passage tonight. Because every single person in this room knows exactly what temptation looks like. Now, it may play out differently in your life, it may be for different for every single person in this room, but we've all got areas where temptation happens. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's the things that you watch. Maybe for some of you, it's the food. Maybe it's the people that you're around. Maybe it's all kinds of different things in your life. For a lot of people in this room, my guess is there's a lot of temptation that holds in the palm of your hand right here. Through your cell phone. Because we have constant access to the entire world 24-7. And as we do that, we have things that pop up in our lives. And a lot of times, here's the way we respond to that temptation. We are tempted, we give in to it, and then we feel guilty about it. So a lot of times our first response is, we want to make somebody else to blame for the thing that we were tempted by. We want to make somebody else to blame for what we decided to do in our response to that temptation. Our tendency is to take those feelings of guilt or shame and say, well, somebody else could have prevented me from ever being in this situation. For instance, Valentine's Day was on Sunday, and a conversation has played out in my house since Sunday. And in speaking to one of my children, I won't tell you which one it is, but one of my children, I looked at him and said, I can't believe you ate an entire box of chocolates in less than 24 hours. I'm not telling you who it was. I'm not telling you who it was. But here was the response I got. Well, you're the one that bought me the box of chocolates. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, it's definitely Jared now. No, I'm not saying it's Jared. I'm not telling you who it is. But here's the thing. That's how we respond. We automatically want it to be somebody else's fault because we don't want to take responsibility for our own behavior, for our own shortcomings. In fact, when that plays out in our lives, some people will take it as far as to blame God for their actions. You know, okay, God, if you really don't want me to drink this drink that I'm not supposed to drink, I want you to make it so I can't open my mouth for the next five minutes. Okay, God, my mouth's still open. Guess I can do it. It's fine. Or God, you, you don't want me to go to this place. Make sure my car doesn't start. If my car doesn't start, then I won't go there and I know that's your will. Car cranks right up. Okay, God, guess you could, you could stop me if you wanted me to. But people do that. We blame other people and sometimes we take it as far as blaming God. But as we jump into verse 13 tonight, what we see in the book of James is that James goes after that argument tonight. James says that you don't get to blame God. You don't get to blame anybody else but yourself when temptation comes up in your life and you act on that temptation. 
And as we look at these verses 13 through 18, we're going to see that this temptation we have, this struggle we have with temptation, it's not God's fault. What James does is James takes the blame, he takes the consequences, and he says, don't put that on God. You've got to bear that on your own shoulders. Because I'm responsible for how I respond to temptation in my life. You are responsible for how you respond to temptation in your life. And as somebody who says, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to understand how that plays out in your life and and what God looks at as far as how we're supposed to deal with that. So before we actually get into reading the passage, I'm going to ask you the question so that we know what we're getting into. Who wrote this book? James. Okay, it's the title, in case you're not sure. It's the title. And James, what's the significance of James? Who's it related to? He's the brother of Jesus. Okay, so when do we believe this was written? 40 to 45 A.D. Somewhere in the mid-40s A.D. Who do we believe this was written to? Yeah, most likely Jewish Jewish Christian, Jewish believers in Christ meeting in house churches. Because remember at the very beginning, verse 1, he talks about writing this to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Those are the Israelites who believe in Jesus, the Jewish people, what we would call them today, Messianic Jews, that believe in the Gospel of Jesus. And because of that, they're being persecuted. So they're, they're meeting in house churches. They're scattered. Why was it written? Two re- or One reason, really. To encourage them to what? To live out their faith. That's it right there. And it's the same thing that applies to us. So, I'm going to ask you all to stand in honor of reading God's Word, and I'm going to ask Mr. Wesley Combs to come on up and read our passage for us tonight. Come on up here, Wesley. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Detect, all right. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For, no one, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Thank you for letting us all come here and for letting us all be here safely. Lord, just help us throughout the rest of our week and throughout school and just let everybody get home safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Wesley. Y'all can have a seat. Y'all, y'all give, give it up for Wesley for having the courage to come up here. Thank you, sir. So, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let's just jump right into it. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So James jumps right into a very strong statement here. He says, when you are tempted, don't blame God. It's, it's not His fault. It's not His fault when something catches your eye or catches my eye. It's not His fault when you or I feel the urge to do or say or even think something that dishonors God. He says, you can't blame God for that. James is clear that when we have 
when we have the urge to, to lie or steal or lust or gossip or all of these other things that dishonor God, none of that can be laid at God's feet. He's clear here that God is not the source of our temptation. And we know that because we know from Scripture that God and evil, God and sin, they're incompatible. We see all over Scripture that God is just, God is holy, God is righteous, and many other things, and sin is everything but that. So God is not compatible with evil and God is not compatible with sin and His call on the life of every single believer is to pursue holiness, to pursue Him, to pursue a life that honors God. And that call cannot be paired with God tempting anybody to sin. Now let me make a distinction here. There's a difference between God testing people and God tempting people. God does test believers. You can look all through Scripture and you can see time and time again where God tested those who said that they had faith in Him. And He did that to grow them and to deepen their faith and their trust in Him. In fact, James, we read it just a couple weeks ago in James 1 verses 2-4. through 4, It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God allows and even brings times of testing to our lives as disciples because it's in those times we have the opportunity to seek Him before anything else. It's in those times where we learn how to trust Him more deeply. It's in those times where our faith goes deeper than it was before because our own understanding fails, our own plans fail, and we have no choice but to rely on God in those times and in those moments. So God does test us as disciples, and that testing grows your faith, strengthens your trust in God. So remember, God does test, but God does not tempt. He doesn't tempt anyone to sin. Because sin doesn't come from God. Look at what it says in James 1 verse 14. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation doesn't come from God, but right here what we see is James laying that responsibility squarely at the feet of every single individual. So what I do with temptation in my life, whose responsibility is it? Mine. When you face temptation in your life, whose responsibility is it? Yours. No, not mine. Yours. It's each individual is what James is saying here. And I, I, I like the imagery he uses here. He's talking about being lured or enticed. My, the, the first thing I think about that is, is fishing. Now, I'm, I'm not a big fisherman. Nathan loves to do it. I get to do it some. But it's like anyone who, who fishes and tries to find the perfect lure. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the bait. Okay, that little plastic worm or that plastic minnow or whatever it is that you buy. And, and I, I went back, I was curious how much people spend a year on lures and bait trying to, to catch the perfect fish, the biggest one out there. And the most recent data I could find was actually back in 2016. Can you guess how much Americans spent on artificial lures, flies, or bait to go fishing? Take a guess. 2.2 million, that's a good guess. Anybody else want to give a guess? 2.5, what'd you say? 1.7, anybody else? Wait, 1.9, I heard of what? 102 million, you want to know what? Three, you want to know what the statistic was for 2016? Americans spent on artificial lures, 
flies and bait, $852 million in one year. That, that, that is just buying the, the bait, whether it's live or artificial, $852 million. And all of that, all of that is in an attempt to get a fish to bite. Whether it's in a pond or a lake or an ocean, all of this money is spent trying to entice, trying to lure this fish to that fishing line so that you can pull it up into the boat. And, and manufacturers spend all kinds of money to do this. That's what, that's what we have spent as consumers. I don't even know what manufacturers spend on this. And they spend time researching and technology and they use different colors and shapes and smells and shiny things and all of this stuff all in hopes to help people catch a bigger fish, to entice something, to lure something away. And we got to be honest, the fish are pretty stupid when they fall for it, right? I mean, it's true. Let me flip that image for you for a second. Think about the last commercial you saw that was something you just had to have. Whether it was clothes, or shoes, or a vehicle, or a phone, or that food commercial, you're like, oh, i got to get some of that. And advertisers, advertisers spend millions upon billions every year to entice you. To lure you. And guess what happens when we fall for it? We're just as stupid as the fish. So we don't always think about it that way. But that's exactly what James is talking about when he talks about this temptation. When, when you allow your own desire, when you allow that thing that tempts you to determine how you live, that's when temptation triumphs in your life. And that's why we have to always be on guard. Because the, the, the one entity, the one being that knows what your weakness is when you think nobody else in this world knows is Satan. And He is out to get you. Scripture tells us that. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That means Satan's plan for your life is 100% every single moment of every day to fail at following God. That's his plan for your life. And that's when we start to see that temptation. That's when we start to see those things pop up. Because temptation from without is a reality. But you also need to remember what James is also saying here is temptation comes from within, not just without. We learn that in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Have you guys ever heard this phrase before? Follow your heart. Or the heart wants what the heart wants. Right? Yeah, every Disney movie ever. Absolutely. The heart is a liar. Ladies, if you ever find yourself attracted to a guy, okay, I'm going to step on some toes here for a second, who's just an absolute jerk, which by the way, the week leading up to Valentine's Day is actually National Dump the Jerk Week. It's a real thing. We didn't get to that slide in the game, but that is a thing. But, but listen to me. If, if, you, if you find yourself falling for somebody that you know doesn't honor God, 
treat you horribly, but you just feel like your heart just wants to be in that relationship. You need to check your heart because your heart is lying to you. That's what Scripture tells us. It tells us that we can't even understand it. Look at this. We can understand the heart only so far as that we know we cannot trust it. But we cannot fully comprehend the depths of where the heart will lead us. That's why James says you need to know your heart's going to lie to you according to Peter, or excuse me, according to Jeremiah. And James says you've got to be wary of that. You've got to know that those things are going to pop up in your life. And that's why he goes on here to tell us what that starts to look like. He says in verse 15 of James chapter 1, he says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You, you kind of get a little family tree going here in verses 14 and 15. You've got temptation, which gives birth to desire. Desire then gives birth to sin. And sin, when it matures, it brings on death. You see this progression of what's happening here. And that, that's a pretty harsh ending that James lays out. But the truth is, that's not new to James. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and see where God gave Adam the almost the exact same explanation. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Which, by the way, guys, ladies, work was there before sin was. Before the fall was. Work was not a result of the fall. It got harder, but it was there. Just remember that as you move forward in life. It says, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And if you keep reading in that account of what happened in Genesis, we know that Adam and Eve, they were tempted by Satan. And that temptation led to their own desire to be like God. That temptation became desire. That desire led to disobedience, to sin against God. And that disobedience, that sin, led to physical and eternal separation from God. It led to death. This isn't new to James. This started all the way back with the first man and the first woman. Temptation has been a problem from the beginning. And it's something that we struggle with on a daily basis. And James is helping us understand that temptation comes from anything else besides God. It comes from outside of us. It comes from inside of us. But it does not come from God. That's why he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's given us a warning there. He's saying, don't fall for it. Don't be fooled. Don't believe the lies that people will tell you. Don't believe that wearing the right clothes will make you popular, which will make your life complete, because what it's going to do is it's going to leave you empty and broke. Yeah. That's what it's going to do. It says, don't think that, that being the most popular person and going to the parties and, and doing all of the things, whether it's drinking or drugs or all of these other things, are going to make your problems go away and it's going to make you the life of the party. What it's going to do is it's going to leave you broken and guilt-ridden. That's what it's going to do. Don't believe, please don't believe, that you have to be in a romantic relationship with someone of the opposite sex and do whatever they want you to do so that you can feel loved and accepted. Because it's going to leave you broken. And it's going to leave you filled with regret for the rest of your life. 
what James is trying to help us understand here is that we cannot believe the lies that the world tells us about the things that are going to make us whole. About the things that are going to make us feel complete. About the things that are going to make us happy. Because time and time and time again, anything pursued apart from what God wants for our lives is going to leave us a wreck. James says, don't be deceived. Don't believe the lies. He says, don't fall for them so easily. And, and he, it, we actually see in Scripture that we don't have to. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that, uh, that <laughs> we should all memorize. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Here's what that means. You may think whatever it is you struggle with, nobody else has that problem. Which is why we tend to keep those things secret because we don't want anybody else to know. We don't want them to know. We don't want them to think bad things about us. But what we see right here is that there's no temptation that you face that has not been faced by somebody else. And it goes on to say, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Don't ever think that when it comes to temptation, you have no choice but to give in. Because Scripture tells us right here that if we're in a relationship with God, God is going to give us another option every single time. There's always a different way to go. It may be a more difficult path. It may be a less popular choice. But there's always a different way to go when it comes to taking the option to honor God. And he tells us that God will provide us for that. And he tells us why. Because if you look at these last two verses in our passage, verses 17 and 18, he says, every good gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is reminding the reader here, he's reminding us here, that anything you see or experience that is good comes from God. He's the creator of everything. He says he's the father of lights. He's unchanging in his character and in his holiness. And the, the, the prime example, the prime illustration we have that proves that fact is exactly what he's talking about here in verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What James is writing about right there is a salvation of sinners. It's, it's, it's you and I. It's, it's these people at this time. It's you and I now coming into a right relationship with God because we are born sinners. We are born separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to fix that. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't give enough money. There's nothing we can do to fix that on our own. It's, it's God working on His own, by His own will, that He sent Jesus to repair that separation. To give us the opportunity to come back into right relationship with God. To stand in the gap between us and God and take the punishment that He did not deserve for our sin. Scripture tells us that sin deserves death. That's the punishment. Separation from God. Jesus stood in the gap and paid that penalty so that any one of us, whoever, Scripture says, would put your faith and trust in Jesus, would be saved. 
And it's saying, God, I can't forgive myself. And there's nothing magic about these words. These are just the words I'm using, but saying, God, I can't forgive myself. God, I need the forgiveness that Jesus offered me on the cross. And I know that when he rose from the grave, he beat death and he beat sin. And I want to follow him with my life. But it doesn't stop with that verbal commitment. Now you turn around and you actually start following him with your life. It's a pursuit of holiness. It's a pursuit of who God has called us to be every single day. That's what he's talking about when he says that, that God did this by his own will through his word. And that phrase he uses there, that a kind of first fruits, let me explain that. That's a reference to Old Testament law. An Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, mandated that when you had an agricultural crop, when you had, had, had grain and different things that you were growing, you would actually bring the first fruits, that means the, the beginning of the harvest, the first things that you got out of the field, and you would give that to God. And you did that in anticipation of the blessing of the rest of the harvest that God was going to provide coming after that. It's trusting God that you've given what He gave you first and trusting that God's going to give you more. And, and that idea that, that, that James is talking about here, the implication is this, is that at this time, these believers who were reading this, they were the first fruits. They were the ones hearing the Gospel. They were the ones who were putting their faith and trust in Christ. And the implication there is that they were the first fruits and there were going to be more to come. Guess what? You are now part of that more to come. So now the implication is, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, now you become that kind of first fruits. And you have the opportunity to help the more to come. You have the opportunity to tell other people about Jesus. You have the opportunity to share the gospel. To tell other people what God has done in your life. And you need to understand that this, this is something that He's put on the life of every believer. No, we, we, we took a group last summer uh, to a place called Snowbird. And, and Snowbird is this camp you can go to. And we did missions there. But they've got a sign in their old worship center. It's this big map of the world. And on that map, it says, why do you wait for a call when you already have a command? And it's talking about Matthew 28. It's talking about the Great Commission where we are commanded to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. That's what James is talking about here. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's more that are supposed to come behind you. And you have the opportunity to turn around and show that to them. So what does all this mean for us? There's a couple things we need to remember. And the first one is this. And we see it in verses 13 through 16. Remember that temptation does not come from God. Don't ever blame God for the things that tempt you in your life. God is not out to get you. God is not out to trip you up. God is not just waiting for you to do something wrong so He can zap you with a lightning bolt. There's some people that really believe that. But Scripture tells us right here, God's not out to get you. Temptation doesn't come from Him. We see that clearly in verses 13 through 16. And, and I want to encourage you here tonight, if there's something in your life that you are legitimately struggling with, there's a temptation and you just don't know how to handle it. Bring it to God. Write it down on one of those prayer cards and you don't even have to put your name if you don't want to. And put it in this basket when we start singing so that other people can pray for you. 
So that in the moment of your struggle, in the moment of your temptation, that God will hold true to His Word because God always holds true to His Word. Because remember, He's the Father of lights. He's unchanging. His character, His person doesn't ever differ from who He is. And if God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that He will provide another way for you when you are tempted, when you are struggling, then that's exactly what God will do. And if you want somebody to pray for you about that, write it down, put it on a card. And let's walk through that together. The next thing you need to remember is what I just said. God does not change. Verse 17. He's constant in His character. He's constant in His holiness. God does never change. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. Because there's a lot of things that change on a daily basis in this world. And there's a lot of things that we think are reliable that sometimes don't prove to be reliable. Family. Friends. Jobs. You can name a thousand other things. And all of that, God does not change. He is consistent in His love and His forgiveness and who He is. And the last thing to remember this is this in verse 18. God wants a relationship with you. James says that we received the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus, and with James, it changed his eternity. Remember, he's a guy, the brother of Jesus, who didn't even believe in Jesus at the beginning. And it changed his eternity. And you and I tonight, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the opportunity to do that tonight and let God change your eternity. Will you still struggle with temptation? Yeah, you will. But now you have something different to pursue. And now you have a God that loves you, that will provide a different way for you to respond to that temptation so that you can honor Him with your life. And you may sit here and think, well, why does God get to judge me? Well, God's the one that made you. God's the standard, so He gets to set that. God loves you more than anything else. Trust that He has a will for your life. Trust that His plan, that His word, is better than any temptation you may ever face. And choose to follow Him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You. Thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are unchanging, God. We thank you that, that your will for our lives, God, <laughs> is so much better than anything we may ever think of. And God, I thank you that we can turn to you when we struggle with temptation. God, that those things that pop up in our lives, whatever it may be for each person in this room, God, that you provide us a different way. You provide us an opportunity to pursue you, to know what your love looks like, God. Will you provide us the opportunity to pursue holiness and righteousness, God. And to make our lives something that it can never be apart from you. And God, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for myself. Help us to turn to you when we're tempted, God. Help us to trust you. God, help us to encourage one another to call each other out when we're messing around in things that we, we know don't honor you, God. To do it in love, but to have the boldness to do it. God, to be the brothers, the brothers and sisters in Christ that your Lord calls us to be. For all these things,